We're in covenant, and, and we shared, we started last Sunday for those who weren't here, trying to understand this word covenant, not really a, a word that we use much in our, in our culture anymore. And uh, in the big picture, we're understanding vertical covenant, what it means to be in covenant as a Christian. And then we'll see that we're actually in covenant as believers this way. And, uh, you know, for 24, 36 hours as, as men, uh, this theme of covenant came out and what it means to be brothers and fellow workers and fellow soldiers in a very practical way. Uh, but it all comes back to covenant this way. And, and so we're, we're going to look at that and, and do a little bit of review and, and then move forward and look at a lot of different examples of, of covenant and, and God, what it means that, that, that we're in this word, if you were here last Sunday, diatheke, right? What, what kind of covenant is that? Um, because we really have to grasp this. Because so much of our, of our struggles, our daily struggles, with, with obedience to the Word of God, much of it comes down to our, our misunderstanding or our lack of understanding about what it means to be in covenant on the very front end, on the very front end. So I wanted to start with a, a video, I think I showed it one or two years ago, that really sets it in a fun way, this, this struggle we all face with what it means to be in covenant with God and who really is sitting on, on the throne of our life. Okay? So, Tina and Vinny, you guys can play that. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Jesse, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Oh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I, just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. All right. You have your Bibles open to Genesis. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6. Ooh. You can put the screen up, then. I uh, I watched that and 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 wow, right? Any anyone relate to that one, right? And and it's not necessarily even a, a constant struggle. How many are sometimes find yourself? It's good. 
you're good for a while, and then suddenly something happens and you just are so tempted to get back into that seat, right? And, 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 and it's really the core, you know, it's another way of approaching covenant that will relate to last Sunday is, is who's, who's, who's sitting there? Who's on the throne? Who's making the decisions? Who's making the decisions? And, and much of this is related back to, back to covenant, right? Back to covenant. If you look in your notes there, right, the, uh, the title of, of today's message is Who's the Boss? Who's the Boss? Maybe remember that sitcom. You know, there's a sitcom called Who's the Boss? Tony Danza was a retired baseball player. He gets hired as a housekeeper, right? And, and the boss is a single mom who's a CEO, right? So the, t- the title Who's the Boss was a flip on the norms of, of the 80s and 90s. Who's the boss? What, isn't that a great question for us in our life? Who's, who's the boss? Who, really, who's the boss? And, and again, this is all related to covenant. Covenant, right? And so we, last Sunday we looked at if Christianity is not a religion but a relationship, what kind of relationship do you have with God? And, and I just put out different ones that, that I've seen in my own life and in ministry over 20 years, casual, convenient, cultural Christianity. You, you, you kind of just have this Christianity that's based on, well, I've always just been around. I just grew up in the church, right? It's very casual. It's convenient. Crisis Christianity. You know, your relationship with, the, with God, with Jesus, you know, it, it goes way up when things are really in crisis mode. But as soon as the storm clouds blow over, your relationship with the Lord kind of wanes. You know, the, the need, the perceived need just sort of goes away and we slide back into comfort and, and, and routine. Contractual Christianity. Some of us were raised sort of with this. Well, if I do this and if I do this and if I do this, then God is going to do this and do this and do this. And it's sort of a, a pseudo works mentality where we live on a scale and, and it's this contract. And we talked last Sunday that, that that contractual Christianity even comes into our view of churches when we're, quote unquote, church shopping. Right. As long as the church has a good children's, a good men's, a good women's, as long as I like the, the music up front, as long as I like the pastor and how he talks, I'm in. But as soon as any of those contractual things are broken, I'm out shopping around for the next church that meets my needs. Right. Where I can form this sort of contract. And, and it becomes a very self-centered thing, really, where we're shopping and, we're, and we're, we're sort of signing contracts that can be broken. And, 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 and it's a very unhealthy thing. And then it's companion Christianity. Sometimes with Jesus, we, we become almost overly familiar, right? Jesus is my brother, in a sense. We are in Christ. We are children of God. But the problem is, Jesus is also Lord, and so when we read verses where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? See, if we have a companion view of Christianity, if Jesus is our BFF, and then he pulls out the Lord card, it can kind of be confusing. Well, he's my BFF. He understands. Or my BFF, he really didn't mean that because we're BFFs. We're best friends forever, right? You know? And so... Yeah, we have this familial, this very intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, but He is not our BFF. He is Lord. He's Savior and He's Lord. He's Savior and He's Lord, right? But, but if we don't understand that, or maybe we didn't understand it in the context of covenant, 
And even somebody's best... See, this is where... Uh, our, our, I've shared with you before. Our words are very important when we talk about Christianity to the unchurched. Hey, come to our church. Oh, I tried religion. No, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Jesus wants to be your best friend. We kind of say that sometimes. Trying to, trying to explain our relationship, we say, Jesus is your best friend. Kind of. Kind of. But if we're not careful, if we don't choose our words accurately and biblically, we're setting ourselves up and others up for struggles. For struggles. And so we have to understand covenant on the very front end of, of who God is and the front end of our relationship with Him through Jesus because then things will start to fall into place. Things will start to fall into place, right? And we saw that a covenant, in your notes there, a covenant is a solemn, binding agreement, bond or union between two parties, right? It's solemn. We're going to look at that next week where, they, where we cut animals and walk between them. Binding agreement or bond or union. It's binding. Binding. And, 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 and in our world and in our society, the word commitment and binding and, you know, I shared with you last year, last week, Marriage used to be a very good illustration of this covenant. Used to be. Now, when we try to use marriage to describe our relationship with the Lord as covenant, because marriage has become what it's become in our society, that really doesn't resonate anymore as much. That's why covenant is still such a foreign word to us. And we have to understand it because what? We have to start saying it. In fact, in a few weeks, when we talk about being in covenant with OVCF, with this local body of believers, we're going to discuss why we don't use the word membership here. We intentionally do not use the word membership here because in our culture, that connotes Costco and LA Fitness. I have a membership, which, which, which implies I can choose when I want to enjoy the privileges or not. You see what I'm saying? And, and so here, we won't use the word membership. We'll use the, the word, the biblical word, covenant, which carries much more weight, much more biblical weight. And so you're going to understand that. But if you always wonder why we, you, they don't say they're members here, we don't say that. We say we're in covenant with one another. We're in covenant. Okay? So we're looking at this vertical covenant. The first one was in Genesis 6, right? 618. Right. This is God talking to Noah. He says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. You and your uh, sons, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. Right. So uh, before the flood comes, he says, hey, God says, I'm going to establish the word covenant. It's the very first time the word covenant appears in the Bible. Right. If you turn to Genesis nine, a couple chapters over, starting in verse eight. Right. The flood is come and gone. It says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God is making a covenant, right? And what was the sign of this covenant? The rainbow, right? Now, if you see in your notes there, there's some elements, very key elements of the covenant. It was what we call unilateral. God decided to make a covenant. He's telling Noah and his family, this is what I am going to do. 
Okay, Noah had no input. It was unilateral. It was initiated and dictated by God. It was universal, applied to all of us, okay? Unconditional. He didn't say, hey, Noah, as long as you, I won't, I won't flood it. He just said, I'm never going to. It was unconditional, right? There was a promise, right? He's never going to flood it. And the sign was the rainbow, right? Very first time covenant is mentioned in the Bible. Now, when, when they wrote the New Testament and God inspired people through the Holy Spirit, the word covenant was a very specific word. And it's there at the bottom. It's diatheke. Something arranged according to one's wishes, a covenant between a greater and a lesser. Okay? So if we relate that back to Noah and God, right? And I, I did this last week, but still. Right? God is the greater. God is the greater. And he's telling Noah, his creation, what I'm going to do. Right? It's unilateral. He's just telling him, this is the way it is. The greater to the lesser. Lesser. Diatheke. The key for us in understanding covenant as believers is we are in a diatheke relationship with God. We have to understand that. Because the other word on the bottom there, suntheke, right? Something that is arranged jointly, a covenant between equals. That's where we get confused and we confuse people when we say Jesus is our BFF. See, if Jesus is your friend, then what we've done is we've taken God, we've taken Jesus down to this level. You see what's happened? And then all of a sudden when it comes to Scripture and commands and obedience, it's now negotiable. It now becomes negotiable versus understanding when Jesus talks about the new covenant, when God says, for God so loved the world, right, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. What he was doing in John 3.16 was telling you the way it is. Here's the new covenant. The new covenant relationship is, is established. I'm telling you it out how it is through Jesus. John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you hear the diatheke? Do you hear God the greater just telling man how it is? In love and grace. Don't forget this. Because the word boss and the word authority makes us chafe. Anyone? Right? We talked about that. Even though God is a God of grace... And, and, and the Bible says he demonstrated his love while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, right? Sometimes when we go here and we're talking about covenant and we're saying that, you know, God loves you, but he basically is God and he's telling you how it is. And, and as the lesser, as creation, here's, here's our two options. Accept it or reject it. That's all you can do. You can either accept it or reject it. Now, what has happened in the church, when you, when, you, when you lower your view of God, and God is no longer diatheke, God is no longer the greater, and he becomes a peer. We talked about this last Sunday. When, when I no longer view God as the greater telling me how it is, then I now become the authority. And now I can twist and, and remove scriptures that I don't like. Well, God, God, God's a God of love. There's no hell. Really, because in my diatheke covenant, God told me there was, and that's just the way it is. 
But see, if we're not careful and we, and we, we become down to this sort of peer-level, soon-thakey relationship with God, suddenly we feel like we can tell Him who He is and what He really meant. And that's where covenant, if we don't understand it, that's where covenant gets us in trouble. That's where covenant gets, gets us in trouble with false doctrine. That's where covenant gets us in trouble with just submission and obedience. Because now we're relating to God as a peer. Really, God? Am I really supposed to do that, God? But I don't want to. Yeah, anyone ever had a but I don't want a moment with God? Anybody ever have a, did you really mean that, God? I know it's pretty clear in the verse, but did you really mean? You ever have one of those? And what are we doing? We're trying to bargain. We're starting to negotiate. I'm not saying it's not easy. I'm not saying that obedience doesn't take supernatural power through the Holy Spirit. But we just have to guard ourselves to, be, to understanding that, no, God's a God of grace. God's got a love. When you're in a diatheke relationship, covenant relationship with Him, part of our hesitancy has to do perhaps with our own experiences with authority. How many of you here ever had a not-so-good relationship with authority? At home? At home? Uh, at work? The person sitting next to you, Trig, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Right? Okay, so what happens when you grow up and uh, the authority figure, let's just use the authority, the boss, whatever, just wasn't very nice. And you grew up with this very harsh, very fearful, very negative view of authority. Right? Or you go the other way, where there was no authority. You know, I, I shared with the guys up there, I grew up as a latchkey kid through elementary and junior high and high school. I had a whole lot of freedom because my parents were just busy. I, we knew when they would come home, so you just adjust accordingly. So there wasn't a lot of necessarily physical authority around, right? Now, those two extremes can impact you when you come to try to understand the authority of God, right? Because if I say God is the authority, Scripture's authority, for those of you who had very sort of negative experiences with authority, what's your first thing? Ugh! Ugh! Isn't God a principle? He's just waiting for you to mess up. He's a dictator. He's a killjoy. He just tends to boss me around. No joy. Living in fear. That's your definition of when you hear the word authority. That's why when we use the word on, on, on Father's Day, we spend a lot of time talking about the word father. Because we carry that over, right? As God is father. So, for some of you, very painful, negative, uh, fearful uh, attitudes towards authority. And all of a sudden, diatheke. Ah, ah, I don't know about that. Right? Or you go the other way. Man, I, I got to do it. I'm just my, I never had authority. I had so much freedom. I came and went. Me and my parents, we were just BFFs. That's part of the challenge in parenting. When you don't establish authority, you don't teach your kids authority. 
So for this kid who grew up with no authority and complete freedom, God wants to be in a diatheki relationship with you. Ah! Are you kidding me? I've never had a boss. I've never had anyone tell me what to do. I've been my own. Right? You see the challenge? And so we bring this in, and if we're not careful with understanding biblical covenant, we start to relate to God this way or this way. Or we start, we're just negotiating all the time. And those, that, that's why it's so essential. If you've seen your notes there, right? On the back side, we're going to ex- now look at some practical implications of covenant, right? Turn to Galatians 2.20. So what does it mean to be in a diatheki covenant relationship with God in real world terms, right? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, that, uh, That phrase, if you want to circle it, underline it, I no longer what? Live. I no longer live. Covenant is the end of independent living. See, I, I shared with, with the guys, I grew up in the Catholic Church. Never missed, never missed a Mass. I mean, that, you were just there. This is our family and our cultural thing. But here's the deal. As soon as Mass ended, go in peace, and I walked out the church doors, it was independence. I am free for the next six days and 22 hours, <laughs> right? So I, can, I compartmentalize God. There was a compartment. There's God and then there's independence. My life, my life. And when you're in covenant, you realize that's the end, that's the end of independent living, right? I shared last Sunday that that's like me telling my wife when we were dating, hey, let's get married Let's go through the ceremony. Let's get a license. I'll even wear a ring. But here's the deal. Will you give me permission to do what I was doing as a single guy? Oh, Linda's like, no. Look at Linda. Right? Because when you enter into a marriage relationship, in many senses, it's the death of what? Independent living. You willingly, right? That's why they exchange rings. That's a lot of the symbolism of a wedding ceremony is what? All that I have... All that I am, I bring to you. All that you have, da, 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 I, so the two become what? One. See, when you're in covenant with God, you're one. You're one. There's, there's no compartment. There's no my, my life with God and then my stuff. There is, it's all one. That's what come, people say, well, is it okay to make a lot of money as a Christian? And I have friends down in San Diego, very successful businessmen. But here's the great thing about it. Everything they own, all their house, their, their extras, they hold it like this. And you know what they'll tell you? It's all God's. And they use it for kingdom purposes. Because it's what? God's. Right? Western Olivia, thank you. The cabin wasn't yours. He said, here, let's use it for God's purposes. Right? 
There's, there's no my stuff. There's no my life. There's no, this is mine. When you come to know God in a covenant relationship, you're in. You're all in. And then in 1 Corinthians, we won't turn there. He says now, even horizontally, you become part of what? The body of Christ. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. You know, in, the, in those verses, it says the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. When you become a Christian, whether or not you like it, you're into the body of Christ. You're in. There is no independent Christian living. If you understand diatheki, because God says there's not. But if it's suntheki, ah, you know, I don't want to go to church. World Cup is on. Right? Suddenly, obeying God's commands, even within the body of Christ, becomes negotiable, becomes convenience, becomes casual. Okay? You see how, the, how, how understanding diatheki goes into everything. Everything. Our personal life and our body life as a, as a church, right? And then it says here, examples of God setting the terms. Remember John 3? Nicodemus comes. Nicodemus is a, is a ruler. And what does Jesus say to him? You must be, you must be born again. Right? Great example of, of Jesus setting the terms. Hey, Nicodemus, I know you're a religious leader. I know you're probably coming to me with questions about, you know, heaven and all that. But let me just cut to the chase. Hey, Nicodemus, here's the deal. You must be born again. He's setting the terms. Do you see that? He's just telling him like it is. You must be born again. Period. Period. Right? Turn to Luke. And we're going to look at three different guys who come to Jesus expressing a desire to follow him. But now, even as I have read these verses, I read them through the lens of covenant and I understand them so much more. I really get what's happening here. Because in these verses, they're going to, they're going to really negotiate. Who's the boss? That's the title. Who's the boss, right? So Luke 9, 57 says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Right? Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go into it's somewhere else. You go to another city. I'm there. And what does Jesus say? Really? On whose terms? On whose terms? Because let me just, I love Jesus. He's just up front. Hey, you want to follow me? Here's the terms. It's going to be uncomfortable. You might be using a rock for a pillow. We might be sleeping out in the desert. I just want to tell you, he's just very up front. Here's the terms of following me. It's not on your terms, it's on my terms. I don't have anywhere. I, I don't have a home. You got to leave home. You got to leave the comforts. You got to leave everything that you might be clinging to. Because I'm telling you, I have no place to lay my head. Those are the terms. You hear it? You hear it through covenant? You hear it through covenant? Okay. Let's keep going. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord. What's that word? What's the next word after Lord? First. He's negotiating. That's a negotiation. Jesus says, follow me. And then it's weird. He says, Lord. And if he's really Lord, you should just say, yes, Lord. But what he says is, Lord, First, he goes right into negotiation. He says, Lord, first, 
Let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Different uh, uh, commentators, basically, it kind of comes down to this is, is the common uh, meaning of that. If, the, if Jesus wasn't being mean, okay, in that culture, what would happen is, what they're saying is the son is like, my dad is not dead yet. Let me go and stay with him until he dies. Don't know how long that's going to be. But let me go and take care of my dad, settle the estate, and then I'll come follow you. Do you see what I'm saying? He's basically putting an indefinite hold on Jesus. That's, all, that's what he's doing. He's negotiating. Jesus, Jesus said, hey, follow me. First, let me take care of some stuff at home, is what he's saying. Right? And then, third guy. Still another said, I will follow you. Lord, but first, right? But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, here's the terms. If you're going to follow me, you've got to make a clean break. You can't be double-minded. You can't have one foot in the past where you were and one foot wanting with me. He says, you've got to make a clean break. Because Jesus, you know, there's, there's concern by some people who read that and said, he's concerned that if the guy went back, he would be talked out of it. He would get comfortable. His old friends and family would say, you're going to do what? You're going to follow Jesus? You what? What? Three people come to Jesus. And three times Jesus sets the terms. Specifically, the, the last two, I love to use first. So the question for us, one of the application questions for us this morning, in your relationship with God, in your desire to follow God, is there a but first? I'd really like to be committed. I really want to get involved at OBCF. I really want to follow you, Lord. Uh, but first, is there a but first in your walk with the Lord? You know what, you need, you know what God's calling you to do. It's pretty clear from His Word and through prayer. But are you struggling right now because you're negotiating and you want to say, but Lord, but first, but first. And you fill in the blank. What is the but first that you've got to surrender? Right? What is the but first? Right? And then, if you look on your notes there, it says, reasons that we may struggle with diatheke. I told you this before. The bottom one, past experiences with authority. Spiritual warfare. Think back to Genesis. God sets up this incredible garden. Right? Everything Adam and Eve needed. And he sets the terms. What was the terms? Just don't eat from what I tell you not to eat from. Right? Right? What was the devil's scheme? God doesn't want you. Well, well, God's hiding something from you. And he knows if you eat, you're going to be what? Just like him. Why do we struggle at the core? Why do we struggle with diatheke? Because we want to be up there with the greater. We want to be God. We want to be the boss of our life. And the devil knows that, so he keeps, he'll come, Ernie. Really? You're going to submit to God's word? Why? And he pushes those, you can be God buttons still. You can sit on the throne still. It hasn't changed. Oftentimes, think of the areas in your life where you're struggling with in, 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 in submission and obedience to God and ask yourself, am I trying to be God here? Who's really making the decisions? Right? So, so there's spiritual warfare. There's our sin nature that just wants to please ourselves. 
And then there's the world, right? If you watch the news and you see what's happening in the world, the authority is just not a very popular term. Another unpopular term, submission. Submission. How many of you sort of still cringe at that word submission? Right? In fact, let's look at God's terms regarding submission. Turn to Ephesians. Some of you are like, uh-oh, here we go. Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians 5. 21. Okay, so who created marriage? God, right? Man and woman, right? Who created marriage? So if God created marriage and we're in a diatheke covenant, who sets the term of how marriage should operate? Who? Okay, just remember you said that when we read this, okay? Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another. So we start with mutual submission, right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your husbands as to the Lord, right? For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should to their husbands in everything. Now, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. God created marriage. God is setting the terms for how it should operate. You understand what I'm saying? Diatheke. Oftentimes we hear that word submit, and at and and the human level something rears up. And how do we deal with the rearing up? We go, oh wait, but this is God. God's setting the terms. And it goes for husbands and for wives. I mean, gentlemen, verse 25 on, that, that's pretty heavy stuff. Gentlemen. If, if, if you understand what God is setting as your terms, as your responsibilities as a husband, and if you were to fulfill those, quite honestly, your wife would have no problem submitting. Right? But the point of this is, even in marriage, in a marriage relationship, it's God who sets the terms. It's God. It's a, it's a vertical thing first, and then it plays out horizontally in the human world. Do you guys understand that? Much of our struggles with obedience and this rearing up is because we bring God to the human level. Why do we? Why should you submit? Because God said so. Diatheke. Husbands, why should you love your church and want to? Why should you love your wife self-sacrificially, even to dying for her? Husbands, why should you love your wives to want to present her to Jesus, holy and blameless, without blemish? Gentlemen, why should you do that? Because God says. That's God's terms. But we get caught up in this. We got to focus here, right? And then in the church, right? In the church, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build what? My church. And three years ago when we started this, there was this little joke, right? You would refer to this as Richie's church. And I say, no, it's not Richie's church. It's, right, it's God's church, right? And Carl even made me a mug that said Richie's church on it. You know what I mean? We kind of had fun with that because you all were out there going, oh, I go to Richie's church. I said, please don't say that. Please don't say this is Richie's church because it's not. And even in the church, here's the deal. It's diatheke. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. It's my church. I'm going to build it the way I want. You understand that, right? So this is very important. Because in 1 Peter, turn to 1 Peter. 
if we're true to that, if we're going to believe that, all right, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter 5. First Peter 5, 1 Peter 5.1 To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is whose church? God's church. And he says, in my church, you pastors, you elders, this is, this is what I'm telling you to do. This is your responsibility. You get what I'm saying? Now hold that thought, because we're going to go to Hebrews. Hebrews, James. Hebrews 13. 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Okay, so Jesus is going to build his church. He's the boss. It's, right? He's, our job is just to follow his instructions because it's his, right? Diatheke, greater than lesser. So he gave instructions to the leaders. Now he's giving instructions to the body. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They, must, uh, they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's God setting the terms for relationships in the church. Why is that important? Because in a few weeks, you're going to get, if you want, if you're not in covenant with us, we're going to hand these out. And you know, there's some information. And then we get into covenant responsibilities and biblical things. We're going to talk about this more later, but I want to share this with you. When we did this about two years ago, and we handed this out, we got some pushback. Because right away, people sort of assumed that Pastor Richie was trying to be King Pastor Richie. And now we were going to get into your life and we're going to tell you what to do and we were just going to be all over you. We were going to just be these heavy-handed authority. Even the word legalist was used out of contest because it has nothing to do with legalism. Oh, but you guys are going to be the spiritual police and it's all about you guys. And you, I knew it. I knew it. Right? And, and there was a little bit of pushback because people didn't like this sense of authority within the church at the human level. And, and what we had to do and what we're working through is right, it's, it's God's church. He's just told us. He set the terms for how we're supposed to operate here. There's shepherds who are supposed to shepherd and there's the body and we have this relationship according to whose terms? His terms. And it's not comfortable all the time. And here's the thing, it's not even normal in, in churches, really, anymore. And so I share that with you just to plant that little seed when you hear us talking about covenant and our roles and your roles. It's not about us. It would be much more comfortable at a human level for me to just invite you over and just have potlucks every Sunday. And we'd laugh and we'd joke and I'd never ask you if you're obedient to the Lord. And, you know, I'd never call you on things, but we would just have a great time of fellowship. And God's like, eh, that's not the way, that's, that's not according to my terms. You understand what I'm saying? It's diatheke. So our heart here is to be in diatheke, relationship with the Lord, submitted to Him, 
as church leaders, submitted to him as a body, submitted to him as husbands and wives. How about just submitted to him as believers? Amen? Just submitted to him as believers. And here's the great thing, all right? We're going to close with this. Turn to Mark 8, 34. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Let's turn to Luke. We'll close with Luke. Luke 18. Luke 18. Make sure I have that right. Okay. So this, is, this, this conversation comes at the end of the rich young ruler who wanted to follow Jesus on his terms. But he didn't like the term, so he went away sad. Remember that, right? So Peter, Peter, look in verse 28, Luke 18, 28. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. He's like, hey, Jesus, we got it on your terms. You said follow you. We did. We accepted your terms. Here we are. We walked away from the nets. We're here. We're all in. We followed you. And look what he says. Here's the blessing. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. See, diatheke, here's the great thing. When we understand diatheke covenant and we submit and we say, okay, on your terms, who gets blessed? We do, not just for eternal life. How many of you had a great time at the men's retreat? How many of you had a great time yesterday? That's the blessing he's talking about. When you leave everything to follow him, what you get back is a church family. What you get back is new creation. What you get back is the Holy Spirit. What you get back is God's provision, God's protection, someone who will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't know about that. But God says, here's the terms by grace. Believe on Jesus, and here's all you get. You get that? That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news. Really? Where do I sign? (laughs) Where do I sign up for that? I just got to do it on your terms? Yeah, and I get all the blessings of a church family. I get all the blessings of being a child of God. I get all the blessings of knowing if I die today, I'm in heaven. Yeah. Diatheke. Amen. Let's pray together and 